This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, April the 2nd, 2023. I was away last week at a family memorial service outside of Colorado, and it's great to be back here with all of you today. You know, just a quick personal note this morning. Um, for those of you who are part of our Beaver Creek service um, when you were here in the, in the Vail Valley and have tracked with me maybe across many years, you may know that today, I'm actually recording this in my, the office here at Trinity and Edwards, um, the, but today is the first Sunday that my role in Trinity is strictly leading our Beaver Creek um, worship service. And um, I'll be bringing the message in person that I'm recording right now. But two Sundays ago on March the 19th was my last Sunday as the full-time pastor and leader of the local ministry here of Trinity Church. And so a big change in my life, but I look forward to continuing being here with you um, in this podcast, and if you come into town, which hopefully you're able to do, I will be at the Beaver Creek service if you choose to come and worship with us there. But I just ask your prayer for me as I'm going through this transition. I will begin my new role. I will be the uh, chaplain, with full a staff chaplain with our local health network starting next week on the Monday after Easter on April the 10th. And I also ask that you pray for our local ministry here through Trinity Church as um, the, the leadership here in the church looks begins their, their journey of um, seeking God's will and bringing a new pastor. There is a lot of wonderful things happening here with our local church. I'm excited about the future of Trinity. And just as the Spirit brings it to mind, I ask that you would pray for them. So, that said, let's jump in. Friends, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Easter week, when we turn our focus to the central event of all human history, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, all of the gospel narratives have been leading to this point. We know if we wanted to demark a beginning to the timeline and events that actually surround the cross, most people would begin with Jesus's famous and final arrival into Jerusalem what is known as his triumphal entry, or simply just as Palm Sunday. We're going to start with Luke's account of this day. But first, I want to go back about a year in the ministry of Jesus to Matthew's account of a pivotal moment in, in the ministry of Jesus. See, Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi um, on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, just a little north of what is today um, Tel Aviv. And Peter here has just made his famous confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And right after that, in chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew tells us this. Now, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, my friends, that is the first time in the Gospels that Jesus explicitly predicts his death and his resurrection. And the point I want to make with this today is that the cross is still a year or so away. And Jesus is now, probably has been way before this, but we know for sure that at this point, he is fully aware of what is coming. 
And friends, this is an important lens as we consider Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the events of the following week. Because in every exchange that we see Jesus have with his disciples and his detractors, with, with everybody, in all of these instances and dynamics, Jesus knew what was coming. And with this in mind, I want us to, to consider these events this morning um, from, from three perspectives. The first is Jesus' presence and response to the people of Jerusalem, right, that week. Secondly, Jesus' presence and response to you and to me. Right? What do we learn about how Jesus is present and how Jesus responds to us right now? And then third, through this lens, how Jesus is leading us to respond and be present to the people in our lives and our community and our culture around us. So if you have your Bible, and if you don't, I encourage you to get it. Maybe just pause the podcast here. Um, go get your Bible, come back. But anyway, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be starting in verse 28. And this is what we read. After Jesus had said this, and actually what that refers to, if you go to Luke, see the last parable Jesus had taught before we move into this section of scripture was the parable of the 10 minus, um, which is fascinating. You can go look at that. But anyway, after Jesus had given that parable, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Now, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as Jesus had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. And then friends, here's the focal statement. And so as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And friends, Jesus here prophetically describes the destruction of Jerusalem that's going to happen just about 30 years in the future when Rome is going to come in and overthrow Jerusalem, destroy the temple in A.D. 70. But think of this image. Jesus knows that all the people worshiping him, right there along the roads, declaring him to be king, in less than seven days, 
that they are going to turn against him, reject him, and many of them will be calling for his death. He also knows that in 30 years, because his people had rejected him, that God's going to allow the Romans to overthrow and destroy Jerusalem, driving most of the Jewish people from their homeland in an event that wouldn't be reversed until the early 20th century. So in that moment, what is Jesus's countenance toward these people? Was it some sense of satisfied glee? You know, Jesus thinking, yeah, you're about to reject me now, but your punishment is coming. No. My friends, Jesus was heartbroken. He wept. Look at me again. Look with me again at verse 41. It says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, right, all of you, Jerusalem, my people, if you had known on this day what God is doing, what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. My friends, Jesus took no satisfaction in his knowledge that his people would face the consequences of their actions. He was heartbroken because they had missed God's provision of hope and salvation and grace and peace. Now, with that in mind, think of what is going to transpire across the coming week. Jesus will constantly be harassed by Jerusalem's religious leaders, and through many parables, he will speak strong warnings to them. Multiple times, these leaders will seek to entrap him, looking for ways to condemn and kill him. And the only thing that held them back was Jesus' popularity with the people. By the end of the week, though, that would change. Jesus would celebrate the Passover with the apostles, with Judas right there in the room. And that night when they went to the Mount of Olives, the apostles would fall asleep, even if Jesus, even as Jesus prayed, literally sweating blood in his emotional anguish. And when, Jesus, when Judas and the Romans arrived for his arrest, Peter would lose control, cutting off the Roman soldier's ear, only to be stopped by Jesus, who would then heal the very soldier who was arresting him. And at this, even his apostles would abandon him. Later, Peter himself, fearing for his safety, would deny that he ever knew Jesus. And after his arrest, Jesus would be scourged, brought before Pilate, then Herod, where he would be mocked and humiliated. And by this point, the city was now fully against him. And when Pilate tried to release him, the crowd repeatedly demanded his death, instead asking for a known murderer to be released. And then, and then, my friends, as Jesus hung there dying on the cross, given everything that has just happened, he says something that is just stunning. In Luke 23, 34, we read Jesus saying, praying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Again, friends, think of this. Even as he is being mocked and the Roman soldiers at his feet are dividing up his clothing, Jesus' presence and response is one of love, mercy, and forgiveness. You know, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, who is he thinking of? Right? Who does Jesus desire to be forgiven rather than punished? Well, the answer is, is everyone, right? He is speaking 
of praying for the fickle crowds of Jerusalem who had so quickly turned against him. He's praying for the religious rulers, the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the members of the Sanhedrin who had hated him, lied about him, and were most directly responsible for his death. He was praying for his own closest friends and disciples who had abandoned him. He was even praying for Herod, who had mocked him, Pilate, who had condemned him, the Roman soldiers who were right then carrying out his crucifixion. My friends, zooming out to the full breadth and extent of all human sin and brokenness for all of human history, including the sin and brokenness of you and me, with all of this in his heart and mind, Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them. And my friends, throughout Jesus' entire life, up to his entry into Jerusalem and continuing to his last breath on the cross, Jesus' presence, his response, and his heart to all of humanity was one of redemption. And Jesus' heart of redemption was absolutely relentless. It never wavered. You know, Jesus never gave way to anger, bitterness, or a desire to see his enemies suffer. Jesus' heart was one of relentless patience, mercy, grace, redemption, and love. This was Jesus' presence and his response to the people of his own day. In church, this continues to be Jesus' presence and response to the world today, to you and to me today. Friend, whatever you may have going on in your life, wherever you may be in your story, remember, know that Jesus' presence and heart toward you is one of patience, forgiveness, redemption, and love. In church, Because this is the nature and character of Christ to us, always. This is also the nature and the character that Christ is working to express through us, to the people, the community, and the culture around us, always. Friends, as you well know, and we talk about this all the time, our culture today is just permeated with division, The sense that if people don't agree with us, they are the enemy. And I think I just see this filtering down to just individual things in everyday life where it's like we're all just out for ourselves. You know, it's not even hard. And and listen, what I'm about to say here, I say humbly, I debated whether or not even to say this because maybe I say it too often, but it's just as a pastor, as a Christian leader, this is on my heart that it's not hard to find voices within political Christian culture and even within the church, whose response and presence to the world around us is one of fear, anger, condemnation, and honestly, a desire for retribution, right? Revenge, not redemption, right? We hear these things in the media, in the world around us, in our culture around us. But in great contrast to this, if we look to the Gospels and ask, Jesus, God, in a time such as this, How shall we be present and respond to our world as broken as it is? My friends, if we have the courage to ask that question, 
Jesus has already given us the answer from the cross. And his answer was, Father, forgive them. My friends, if we truly have ears to hear, Jesus answered this question for us when he gave his famous Sermon on the Mount. Hear what Jesus said in Luke's retelling of this event. And I'm now in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. And Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I, I just, it's powerful how Jesus always says that. All right, church, are you paying attention? Are you really listening? Do you really desire with an open heart and an open mind to hear who I am, to hear what I have to say to you? But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. For if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, I mean, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. For if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He, God, the Most High, listen to this, church, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Oh, my friends, this is Jesus' heart to us. And this is Jesus' continuing heart to our world. And as Jesus' disciples, people who in Christ have been brought from death to life, when we are living in dependence and loving obedience to Christ's presence within us, this also will be our heart to our world around us. This will be the lens that defines our words, our actions, and our countenance to the people in our families, our community, and our world around us. You know, in the opening of his gospel, John said this, right? You know this, you've heard it. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. For the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. My friends, this Easter season, may we consider the miracle of how Christ has shown his light into our lives, into the reality of our story, your story and my story. And just as we saw Jesus doing so in his life, most specifically in the week leading up to the cross, may we also shine his light brightly into the lives of the people around us, the community around us in the world around us. Friends, I love you. Thank you for checking in and being here with me today. 
I pray that this is a powerful week for you. And I look forward to, if you join with me next Sunday, um, uh, this is my full intention to record. I may even be able to record and to post um, the Good Friday, small, short Good Friday talk that I'll be giving at our community Good Friday service in Vail. Um, and then the, the message I've prepared that I'll be giving at our mountaintop service on top of Vail Mountain. And then again at our Beaver Creek ministry. Um, friends, again, I love you. I pray you have a wonderful week, a wonderful Easter. And I look forward to being here with you again very soon.